Hello and welcome to Indie Stars Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Weaver, and I'm here today with Indie Stars election team, who's been really involved in a marathon for the past two weeks, uh, covering the lead up to Indiana's presidential primary. And we're all here today to kind of break it all down for you. Uh, joining me are uh, Brian Eason, Chelsea Schneider, Tony Cook, and Stephanie Wong. And we want to kick things off today by just talking about uh, Donald Trump's big win and kind of what we thought uh, contributed to that. Um, Tony, you want to kick things off? Sure. I mean, I think from the beginning, you know, there were certain aspects of Indiana's demographics that were going to be, uh, you know, that, that were going to help make things favorable for Trump. I think one of the biggest things is our huge manufacturing base. You know, we have half a million factory workers here in Indiana, a uh, higher percentage of our workforce than in any other state. And I think that Trump, Trump's message on trade and his protectionism uh, in terms of saying, hey, if companies ship jobs overseas, we're going to tax the hell out of their products when they try to bring them back here. Um, that message just really resonated with a lot of these folks who felt like they've gone a decade or two without a candidate really speaking to them. So I think that was maybe one of the biggest factors. Uh, also, though, Trump's coalition ended up being broader than that. Um, he won in the donut counties surrounding Indianapolis, and that was really sort of the swing territory in this election. Cruz was expected to do well among evangelicals, although I'm not sure it's clear that he made big enough inroads there either. But then either, even in suburban Indianapolis, you know, they went heavily for Trump. And so he really did put together a broad, you know, base of support uh, during this primary. So, it, I mean, it does look like uh, Trump is going to take all or almost all of Indiana's 57 delegates. I guess the only uh, hanging question out there is whether or not he uh, won uh, in the northeastern part uh, of Indiana in, in that congressional district. It might have taken away three. We're still waiting for an answer on that. But certainly the bulk of, of the delegates are going to go to Trump, and it certainly gives him all the momentum he needs to win the nomination outright and already the Republican National Committee is saying that he is the presumptive nominee. Um, so, uh, Stephanie, you were out uh, on the road a lot with, with Ted Cruz. What was it uh, about his campaign that ended up not catching fire, not resonating with people? What, was, what were the, sh the shortcomings? You know, I think that uh, Ted Cruz really catered to his base of supporters um, social conservatives, religious conservatives, but I'm not sure that his message got anywhere further than um, the people who are already going to support him. And, you know, he's definitely at a disadvantage in some parts of Indiana where, you know, as Tony mentioned, uh, the demographics are going for Trump. And let's face it, Trump is a really charismatic guy. And so I think he was able to capture a lot more of those votes, even though Cruz was out on the road and doing a lot of events in a lot of smaller parts of Indiana. So, yeah, we were starting to see kind of the, the coalescing behind Trump uh, even just a couple of weeks out when we were, uh, all of you were out visiting uh, smaller towns in Indiana, factory towns, and it started to become clear that, that Trump was kind of the capturing their vote at least on the on the Republican side. On the Democrat side, I think we were noticing 
that Sanders uh, was capturing that vote um, and that uh, trade agreements were really a big issue in the race between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton on the Democrat side in Indiana. Uh, Brian, you were out a lot with Sanders and visiting uh, some places. What do you think it was about Sanders' message that caused him to, to win the state? Well, I, th I think it was two things. You mentioned manufacturing. That's obviously a big deal. There's a lot of folks that don't trust the Clintons based on NAFTA. The, a lot of people blame NAFTA for the exodus of manufacturing jobs. I was looking at some stats last night. We've lost one in four since 1999. It's a significant, significant ch chunk of your manufacturing sector. But the other thing is, I mean, you look at where Bernie Sanders was campaigning. Bloomington. Purdue, uh, IUP, Fort Wayne, Indianapolis. I mean, he was really going after and energizing young voters. Uh, I think those were the two parts of his coalition that uh, Hillary Clinton just couldn't match. Yeah, and then, and Chelsea, you were out with, with Hillary Clinton uh, on a couple of occasions and uh, also some of the surrogates who were here for um, It seemed that she was having some trouble uh, with young voters, uh, why, do, why do you think she's not connecting with that, that demographic? Definitely. And I think it's just because, you know, when you hear Sanders speak, I mean, he talks about things even beyond manufacturing. Like, you have to also remember the elections a little bit more broader than that for some people. You know, he's talking about $15 minimum wage. He's talking about a Medicare for all system. He's talking about, you know, basically free college tuition. I mean, that's a huge thing, you know, for those kids and, you know, being able to refinance, you know, your college tuition at a really low interest rate. So I think the things that he says really resonates, you know, with young people, especially college-aged people who are looking at graduating, you know, with their degree, but also a huge chunk of debt. Um, and I think, you know, on the other side, Clinton, you know, she also has a plan that deals with affordable college, but it's a little bit more, I personally think, realistic than what Sanders is selling just because she probably could get it through, you know, Congress. So I think you have Sanders who really speaks to a lot of, you know, policy issues like how he thinks things should be in the you know um but clinton on the other end is has a message kind of maybe a little bit more grounded in reality and maybe things that you know that she could get done reasonably if she was president so um yeah so hillary uh, has been uh uh, you know, she's going to be the nominee. I think everybody is in agreement on that on the Democrat side. But what is Sanders going to be able to accomplish at the convention, Brian? What do you think he's going to be able to do there? Well, I, I think that, you know, when he talks about, you know, it's a political revolution, this is a movement, you're not voting for a candidate, I, I think that his messaging over the last few weeks has really turned into you are electing. When you vote for me, you're electing ideas. You are trying to get us to push the Democratic Party on certain things, whether it's, and I think it's different for different voters. Uh, some people really like that he's speaking out in a, in a much harsher tone about climate change. For other people, and I think maybe this is where a lot of the independent votes that he's gotten, it's income inequality. Sure, Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party have talked about income inequality over the last 10 years, but this is the first major party candidate who is talking about that in a real way as the number one issue of his campaign. So, and I guess I guess the hope is that he can influence um, the the platform, uh, and maybe get Hillary to adapt, you know, adopt some of what he's been saying. 
Um, but I guess we won't find some of that out until the conventions actually occur <laughs> uh, in, in June. Um, I want to go back, though, a little bit to, uh, to Cruz's um, defeat uh, and, you know, talk a little bit about, I mean, it was just a hard night, I think, for uh, those evangelical conservatives. They weren't able to bring a win uh, for Ted Cruz. They weren't able to bring a win for um, Marlon Stutzman and his race uh, for the U.S. Senate against Todd Young. And they weren't able to defeat uh, Senate President Pro Tem uh, David Long, uh, who they were going after because he had essentially allowed a discussion in the General Assembly on gay rights. Um, what does that say about the evangelical Christian movement within the Republican Party going forward? Yeah, I think it shows that on a statewide level, their influence is limited. Yes, they're able to pick off candidates in uh, legislative races uh, in smaller districts here and there in certain places, especially in the northeast part of the state. But when it comes to a statewide Senate race or when it comes to... Um, you know, a statewide presidential primary. And even with Long, I mean, I think, yeah, he's running in a specific district, but he's seen at least as a uh, candidate who represents, you know, a, a disproportionately larger share of the state because of his leadership role. And so I think that, you know, all of those races equaled losses for the evangelical community and for the people who seek to, you know, motivate those voters. And I think that's that it showed their their limit. You know, it was a very different outcome than the one we saw even in 2012 with uh, Luger and Murdoch. And I don't know if whether it was a lesson learned from that or whether the demographic the demographics have just changed or what exactly is the cause of that. But I think it shows that their influence has waned some in the state. Yeah, I mean, certainly the last big victory for Tea Party and evangelical conservatives was uh, Richard Murdoch defeating uh, Richard Luger for um, the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate back in 2012. So, I mean, do you think their influence has waned, or is it just that the moderate Republicans who are being targeted by them know how to know how to fight back now. Yeah, I mean, it could be it could be some of that. I'm not sure. It's it's tough to tell. I think the <clears throat> the I don't think it's fair to say like they're out of the picture by any means because they are still very good at picking off certain candidates when they really target someone, especially someone who's, you know, maybe in the middle of the pack in the state legislature in terms of seniority or leadership roles, you know. So they might be able to they might be able to target a, a committee chairman, but even most of the time it's not even a committee chairman. They they're able to pick off individual members who aren't even that high up in the leadership. And I think that shows that, you know, they still have a good ground game that can make a difference and candidates are aware of that and so they're going to listen to that voice but i think this election demonstrates that that doesn't have to be the most important voice in the room yeah so i mean um 
one of the other things that happened during this campaign uh, for the Republican uh, presidential primary was that uh, Mike Pence did come out and make an endorsement of Ted Cruz, and Ted Cruz made a hard push for the evangelical vote. In the end, that didn't turn out to be enough for him. But do you think Pence's endorsement helped Cruz at all? Did it bring him more votes than he would have had without Pence? It's really hard to tell. It didn't bring him enough. We can say that for sure. Um, but, you know, I think I think the endorsement really is more important for Pence, <laughs> even though he was the one doing the endorsing, than it, that it ended up being for Cruz. Because, you know, Pence risks alienating these Donald Trump supporters, you know. Um, so you have to wonder, you know, how much coalescing around Trump is there going to be after this now that he's the presumptive nominee you know a lot of times as we saw you know Obama put Clinton in the White House you know or in the uh, Secretary of State's office you know the you make up and and you move on and so you know maybe that's what's going to happen here with between Pence and and Trump supporters but I think even more importantly the the statewide results that we're talking about and the the role the limited role that evangelicals had and in, in that it you know that's a base that Pence has uh, catered to pretty heavily during his time in office especially the past two years and so what the I think it's interesting to think about what does that say about his chances in November yeah I mean you do wonder what impact having Trump at the top of the ticket will mean to Mike Pence in in November but it seemed like Chelsea that um, the governor left himself uh, plenty of room to navigate and, you know, kind of at least remaining warm towards Donald Trump. His his endorsement of Ted Cruz was sort of lukewarm. And, he you know, while he was endorsing Cruz, he also managed to commend Donald Trump at the same time. So doesn't that, I mean, he's already kind of, he extended an olive branch even before the results came in, don't you think? Definitely. And I, I do think that, you know, likely Governor Pence knew that Cruz did have a long way to go if he was going to beat, you know, Trump. And I think we saw that definitely play out in the wording of the endorsement. To be perfectly honest with you, I was a little surprised about how Trump responded to it. Like, I totally understand that when, you know, Pence, you know, announced his endorsement, you know, he said, I'm going to be voting for Cruz, you know, but I think Trump, you know, is, you know, a good guy. But I, I just I kind of expected him to even be kind of harsher and maybe rail on Pence a little bit. But in Carmel, you know, he he brought it up and he was just like, you know, I like my Pence. I think he's a nice guy. He said nicer things to me about me than Cruz. You know, they had to replay the tape to figure out who he was endorsing. So I just thought that was just a little bit bizarre, you know, because usually when anybody shows any sort of signs of supporting Cruz, you know, they definitely get feedback from Trump. So I, I just think it was just an interesting dynamic that I wasn't really expecting it to play out like that. But I do think Pence in himself, because he knows that he has a really rough re-election ahead of him, I think that, you know, he felt pressure, you know, from his donors or, you know, from people, you know, within his circle to kind of stick his neck out a little bit for Cruz. He didn't, he didn't do it wholeheartedly. So I think... Um, he did kind of leave himself open in the fall not to really um, accept all the risk from that decision. Well, and I would also say that Governor Pence may have uh, learned a lesson from the Wisconsin governor, Governor Walker, who in his endorsement of Ted Cruz um, also criticized Donald Trump. And 
Donald Trump lashed out at him for that. And, you know, I think that because of that, Governor Pence was probably really careful in what he did because he didn't want to get that same um, flack back from Trump. And so he did word it in a way where Trump was able to spin it in his favor. I think also it, by not endorsing Trump and endorsing Cruz, Pence also, you know, bought a bit of an insurance policy for the general election. I mean, uh, you know, I'm skeptical of these early polls that have shown that, you know, Hillary would crush Trump in a head to head. I think, you know, there's a lot of time between now and November and that'll probably change a lot. But if that was true, then Pence just sort of put himself in the position to be able to distance himself from Trump pretty easily. You know, sure, he said a couple nice things about him, but if Trump starts to tank hard in October and Pence is worried that that's going to pull him down, um, you know, he can always say, hey, don't, you know, I didn't endorse the guy, I endorsed the other guy. Don't blame me, you know. So I think there's a there's a bit of a political calculation in his cruise endorsement, uh, some thinking that's like, you know, yeah, I'm sort of sticking my neck out for Cruz and risking alienating these Trump supporters. But at the same time, you know, that may not look like a bad thing if, you know, Trump gets into trouble later in the race. Yeah, now, you all spent a lot of time out on the road the last couple of weeks uh, in cities all across Indiana. I think Stephanie may have had the the most difficult assignment. She was with Cruz multiple times uh, all over the place. Uh, chasing him from one place to the next, not knowing if she was going to make it to his next stop because he left in a motorcade much sooner than she was able to leave from her previous stop. <laughs> but um, anyway, I just want to like talk about some of the crazy moments, I think, from, from this uh, primary campaign. There were a host of them. A lot of them appeared uh, in our Behind Closed Doors blog. Um, Tony, what were some of the highlights for you? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, looking at social media activity is a pretty good window into some of the just strange and funny and odd and interesting things that happened outside of the big, you know, the big news items. So you had, you know, of course, you had uh, Cruz's uh, flub on, on basketball hoop. He called it a basketball ring. And I mean, Twitter just exploded. Social media went crazy over that. Of course, he's standing in the gym where portions of the movie Hoosiers was filmed and so it just you know couldn't have been a a worse gaff for him Um, but then uh, there's other things too like uh, Trump tweeted that while he was here in Indiana he stayed in a Holiday Inn Express and you know social media just thought that was the most fun thing on earth and people were uh, you know tweeting out mimicking the 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 Holiday Inn Express advertising campaign and saying like, well, you know, I may be having trouble pulling the Republican Party together, but I did stay in Holiday Inn Express, you know, just making these <laughs> jokes. So a lot of fun with that one. And then, of course, towards the end, we had um, Fiorina falling, you know, uh, at falling off a riser, I guess it was, at a, at a Ted Cruz rally. And then Trump trying to make hay of that and saying, <laughs> trying to suggesting Cruz didn't wasn't willing to help her get back up. Donald <laughs> so Trump is like, I would have I would have helped her up, and so I mean, it was just it was just wild. Even if you just look at some of these smaller things, not to mention the fact that like 
one of the candidates named vice presidential running mate and struck a you know crazy non-compete alliance with another candidate i mean despite all of that like high level maneuvering there were all of these you know smaller little things that just made the race absolutely fascinating yeah and and stephanie you were out traveling a lot uh, what are some of the the memories that you'll uh, keep with you for a while well uh let's start with donald trump so at some of his rallies I saw his supporters greeting each other with his uh, campaign slogan. So, you know, the, the way that you say, hi, hey, what's up? They would be like, oh, make America great again. Make America great again. Um, and they're definitely committed to patriotic fashion because we saw some great outfits at these Trump rallies. I mean, we saw a guy who's got Donald Trump socks um, and it's got a picture of Trump on the side with the hair coming out. And uh, Chelsea saw somebody else who is pretty comedic. Definitely. So, um, you know, at the start of the you know election cycle, I spent a lot of time, you know, with protesters and standing outside and speaking with supporters. And, you know, I was outside of um, Donald Trump's first rally at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. I'm like, I need to find, you know, really interesting people to interview. And this this kid, and I'm saying he's a kid, but I think he was, you know, 17. This was his first election that he could really vote in because he'll be 18 by November. He walked by in this outfit that looked exactly like the American flag. And I'm like, I'm going to go talk to him. And I went up and I was like, hey, what's your name? And he's like, Jake America. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, you know, journalists are trained to be like, you're totally lying to me, right? So I was like, I need to see your ID, you know, before I can quote you. Like, I'm not turning this into my boss and like, you know, getting on some like talk show that I'm like messing this up, right? And sure enough, his name was definitely Jake America. And he was a huge Trump supporter. So I think that, you know, is one of the other things. And there was also a guy with a sign about, you know, saying how Trump really likes Tom Brady. And I don't know a lot about sports that really resonated with people, too. So uh, out at uh, uh, one of the Cruz rallies, I saw a sign from a protester that says Cruz loves Nickelback. And so it's kind of a funny insult. And a couple more stories from following Ted Cruz around Indiana. You know, he held a rally at the Indiana War Memorial. And so he's doing a, a press conference before the event starts in one of the near one of the exhibits. And there's audio playing with the exhibit. And they can't figure out how to turn off the audio. And so Ted Cruz is giving this press conference and talking about speculation about whether or not Governor Pence is going to endorse him. And, and you can hear the museum exhibit going off. And there's, there's like, gunfire in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and then at Sister's Restaurant in Indianapolis, um, He's going around to meet and greet with some people, and uh, the phone rings, and one of the waitresses who works there says, uh, I've got a phone call for Mr. Cruz. <laughs> she just looks around, and, and of course, he's busy talking to other people. It's a reporter from Texas who wanted to get in touch with Ted Cruz, and so he called the restaurant that Cruz was scheduled to do a campaign stop at. <laughs> and you just hear her go into the phone, uh, he's busy talking to people right now. But I gotta say, my favorite story comes from last night at Ted Cruz's uh, election watch party uh, in at Union Station in Indianapolis. Um, we just saw a Ted Cruz supporter drinking a milkshake, and um, uh, the reporters are like, "Oh man, that sounds so great! I could really go for some steak and shake right now." There's one right down the street, and a reporter who works for a New York media outlet looks at me and goes, "What's steak and shake?" <laughs> I've never had to explain Steak and Shake to anybody ever before. You're like, Shake Shack, but better. <laughs> 
So, well, Brian, what are some of your takeaway images? I mean, for, for me, it was just the sheer number of people that come out to these things. I mean, middle of the workday, people waiting for hours and hours to see somebody that they can, you know, just watch on TV. I mean, uh, Trump, Cruz, Bernie Sanders, all of them. You can find any of them speaking on YouTube. And these people just so, so, so excited to see... Um, and I get it. It's someone who might be the next president of the United States, but just the level of excitement around all of these candidates in an election where I think most political pundits are saying this is the worst you know group of candidates we've ever had. Everyone's negatives are off the charts. You know, tell that to Indiana. I mean, people are really, really excited. So, I, was, yeah, I mean, you had what? I think you had twelve or 13,000 people at the Trump rally in Evansville, and then you had roughly seven or 8,000 people uh, at the Bernie Sanders rally on Monument Circle. I mean, these were, these were big events. And you had so many, like, strange marriages, too. Like, you had, uh, you know, uh, p- protesters, you know, Democrats protesting outside a cruise event alongside Trump supporters you know, who are also protesting the Cruz event. And then you have, like, you know, Cruz and Kasich trying to get together and make that work and uh, with their sort of alliance and that, like, frayed, like, within the day, Kasich was asked, you know, so what do you want your supporters in Indiana to do now that you guys have struck this deal? And he's like, oh, they should still vote for me. I'm just not campaigning there. You know, it's like, oh, this isn't going to work. So, um, yeah, it was really funny just to see you know, the, the strange coalitions that came out. I was standing at a, in line for a Trump event and there was a woman who was behind me and she's just going on and on and on about how elephants in Africa are in danger. And she cares so deeply about this and she loves Donald Trump. And I'm just like, is Trump spoken about this or is this just, you know, it's just, it's just wild, you know? So yeah, well, it's been it's been a wild uh, couple of weeks for us. We hope that you've uh, enjoyed our coverage. We've certainly had fun, but I have to admit, I have told people that while I really enjoyed all this, this could be a once in a lifetime event for me, and that would just be fine. Uh, I think we're all going to uh, probably uh, sleep for a couple of days uh, after this now because uh, we're all pretty pretty wiped out. So anyway, that's that's our report for this week, and good night for now. Yeah. <laughs>